Welcome to another inspiring message from John Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. Alright, Romans chapter 1 verse 16, let's start reading. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Anybody believe that? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress this truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Key verse now. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings or mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to, in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they might do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. In the 1984 translation of the NIV Bible, it says they are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. I started off at the beginning of this year on holiday in Mount Monganui, and I read this passage of Scripture, and in particular read verse 21, where it says that although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. So their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. So their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And as I read this passage of Scripture, one morning when the sun was shining and I could see outside and Jillian was on her way to the cafe down the road to get a coffee, I was struck by a simple thought. God is after my thoughts. As I thought that simple thought, it was like the power of the Holy Spirit just arrested my life and it overtook me with just a simple, simple challenge that struck me right at the core of who I am. God is after my thoughts. In reading all of this great passage, this passage 
that is so important. This passage that sets up the book of Romans, one of the key epistles in the New Testament. I was struck by the fact that God is saying that he wants to have access to my thoughts. The God of the universe doesn't want to be distant from me. He doesn't want to be an adjunct to my life. He doesn't want to be removed from my, my mind. But the God of the universe wants to have my thoughts. Simply put, God is after my thoughts. If there is something that defines us as people, something that is central to the person that we are, if there is one unique thing that makes you and I different from the people that surround us, it would have to be the thoughts that we are thinking. If you were to think about someone that you've met in your life, someone who impacted you deeply, someone who had a profound impact, somebody that when you met them, you felt inspired, want to be better, want to be bigger, want to be more like that person. Generally, the thing that makes them different is not their muscle mass, not their physical prowess, not really their wealth. They might have that. It might not be just the fact that they have the job. But really, when we think about what makes them an inspiration to us in our world, it would probably be the way that they think. The central thing that makes us the person that we are will most often be the thoughts of our lives. Our thoughts are what define us as people. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, as a woman thinks in her heart, so is she. The verse is given in the context of generosity, literally saying, if you sit down to a meal with someone who's a stingy person, they can say to you, eat, eat, but don't eat it. Because as they think in their heart, so are they. And they might offer you food and put on the guise of generosity. But it's not the food that they offer you, but the thoughts that they are thinking that is going to impact really the, the contribution, what they are making. In other words, the thought is greater than the act. Our thoughts precede our actions. The thoughts that you and I think will end up shaping the, the, the lives that we live, the actions of our lives. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, as you have heard, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if a man looks at a woman with lust for her in his heart, in other words, if he's looking at her and his thoughts are thoughts of lust, then he's already committed adultery. Why? Because the thoughts that we think shape the actions of our lives. And if the thoughts are adulterous, the actions will follow. Our thoughts define us as people. Our thoughts precede our actions. Our thoughts are what make us the person that we are. Our thoughts are at the center of our fight with the devil. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, it says, Though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Isn't it interesting that our passage from Romans 1 is also filled with the knowledge of God. They did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. They did not glorify Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. It says here that they did not, that we take captive every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. 
In other words, at the center of our battle with the devil, it's not, it's not a battle in the natural. We're not picking up swords and going to war, but we are in a battle. The battle is real. The battle is against principalities, powers, spiritual forces, and the immediate bullet that is in our hands to go to war against the devil is to look at what's going on in our thoughts and make our thinking obedient to Christ. Our thoughts are the center of our battle with the devil. Our thoughts create walls. That's what our passage of Scripture is reading here in 2 Corinthians 10. It's saying that thoughts become pretensions, pretensions become arguments, and arguments become strongholds. Strongholds, literally speaking, of walls so thick that you cannot penetrate them. And our thoughts create structures around us that define the world, the, the fortress that we are living in. The greatest prison cells, the greatest prison walls in all of the world are not those that are made up of mortar and brick or even barbed wire and fencing. The greatest prisons in all the world are those that are made up of the thoughts of men and the thoughts of women. No greater place can you ever find yourself in prison than when your thoughts have held you down. Adolf Hitler was the one who said, what great luck for rulers that people do not think. Realizing that because so many people are disallowing thoughts to run random through their minds, never arresting them, never challenging them, never taking them captive, he was able to enslave a generation and release the most hideous evil the world has ever seen. Our modern reference point to what evil looks like is the genocide of the Second World War as he went to, to destroy the Jewish people of the world, God's people, by the way. And a man held a generation captive and commented on it and said, what luck for rulers that people do not think. And as I read this passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 1, and was convicted by the simple thought, God is after my thoughts. It messed me up. For the first week of my holidays, I couldn't think about anything else. I'm sure after the service, if you ask Jillian in Capity, she'll tell you that all I kept talking to her about every day that we were on holiday was God is after my thoughts passages began to link together in my mind across the breadth of the scripture about the futility of our thinking, about what it means to have a life that is either alive in Christ or arrested. And I began to realize that the God of the universe is challenging us, that He wants our thoughts. I believe with all my heart that God is more interested in what we think than He is interested in what we do. What we do today might be faulty, it might be flawed, but 20 years of pastoral ministry have led me to believe that if you're going to turn around the actions of a person, don't deal with the actions, deal with the thoughts. Any compulsive habit, any habitual behavior, any cycle that you're trying to break in a person's life begins not by just trying to discipline the action, but by changing the thinking. If you can change the thinking, the actions will follow. So therefore, it must be that God is more interested in what I think than what I do. Interesting that in Isaiah 55 verse 7, when God begins to arrest our lives and say, come back to me, He says, let the wicked forsake his ways, his general direction, the unrighteous man, his thoughts, 
and let him return to the Lord and then the Lord will have mercy on him and pardon him. And how amazing it is that God doesn't give one reference in that passage of Scripture to an actual deed. But He says, if you can change your thinking and your life direction, then you can step into my will for you in your life. So man, I began to realize that the God of the universe is after what goes on in this space between here. And church, as we launch into this month, our theme for this month is Thorpocalypse because I believe that the God of the universe is saying to us, He said it to me, I said to all our team at the beginning of the year as I began to share with them one-on-one, I'm gonna let this series percolate in my heart. I'm gonna live this out because if I don't live this out in my life and preach it, it would be hypocritical. And still, I gotta admit, 10 months, nine months later, whatever it is after God originally put this word in my heart, it still challenges me just to prepare it and to preach it. Because if the, heart, the hardest battle in all of our lives is to take captive what's going on in here, the thoughts of our hearts. In verse 21, this is such, such a challenging verse. It says, although they knew God, although they knew God, They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. So their thinking became futile. Futile. The word futile here in the Greek literally means empty, vain, or foolish. You know, it's possible for you and I to have thoughts that are going on in our minds. You're thinking all the time. You're thinking now. Many people are thinking about two things, especially every woman. I mean, you know, men, we're a little bit challenged in the area of intellect. It's because when when babies are in the womb, apparently there is actually like they're born and they can conceive, sorry, and they can be both sexes. But then there comes a moment where there's like an explosion that passes across the brain of the embryo that decides the sex. If it's going to be a boy, this explosion goes off and apparently it ruins a whole lot of the brain cells. So literally, you know, boys, we're challenged from the start, you know. But most people in this room are having two conversations. You're having the one, you're listening to my sermon, hopefully. I know some of you are looking like you're taking notes on an iPhone there in Christchurch. But really, really, I know what you're doing. You're checking your Twitter feed. Stop it. Stop it. Put that phone on flight mode. You'll be all right. You'll get more out of this message if you do it. Just obey me. No, stop resisting. I'm talking to you. Yes, that's you on the third row in Hamilton. You know you needed to hear that challenge. How does he know? Because Steve's texting me and it comes up on my... No, no. But you know, we're thinking about this message. We're thinking about the temperature of the room that we're in. How's my voice sounding? Do you like my top button done up or would you prefer it to be undone? What are you going to have after the service? You know what I'm saying? Why is he on a stool? Is he on a stool? Has he broken his leg? No, my legs are fine. Just trying to make through a message in the time allotted to me. You've got to be more disciplined than I've been in the past. Get excited, you know. What am I talking about? See, now I've lost my thoughts. And the Bible says that their thinking became futile. It got to a point where it was just empty. Just futile. The word futile... Empty, that's what it means in the Greek, which the Bible was originally written in the New Testament. It means to be empty. It was vain, vain. In other words, not standing in front of the mirror going, I'm too Christian for my church. 
Meaning it just has no purpose. It's not going to lead you anywhere. I don't know if we were to be honest, but I reckon if we were around this room and said, how many people in this room could identify a specific moment in their lives where they've devoted maybe hours, days, weeks, months to thinking about something and all of that thought got you nowhere, helped you nothing. I reckon most people in this room, if they're honest, would lift up a hand and say, yeah, that's been me. Because the natural direction of our lives is to think in a way that the Bible describes as futile, empty, vain, or foolish. It had no future. It was not alive. Now, this is what I know, is that God made you and I for a purpose. God did not put us on this planet to have a futile, vain, and empty life. Can I get an amen? God put us on this planet for uniqueness, for brilliance for a purpose, to effect change, to make a difference right where we are. You're in this room for a purpose. You're alive for a purpose. You're in the city that you're listening to me preaching for a purpose, in this nation for a purpose. Every parent, your children have a purpose. Even when you're going through hell, your trials, God can work a blessing through them. I'm not saying God brought that trial to you, but He will make a purpose out of it. And in the middle of everything that's going on in our lives, it is possible that we can be in the right place without the right thoughts and end up being right where we should be with futility rather than step into the life God has for us. And in our thoughts, we can often find ourselves in a place where rather than living out of a reality of God, We are living, seeing the end of the world. It's the drift of our lives. Pressure comes our way. Circumstance jumps into our hearts. We go through some kind of setback. Man, sometimes you just wake up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's not like it's difficult to find yourself in a place where your thinking is futile. Just be alive for a little while. (laughs) Try not to hang out with Levi for a few weeks. You know what I'm saying? Just... Get all the optimistic people and get them out of your space. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Banish Chris White from your sight. You know what I mean? Like just get all the happy people and take them away. But, you know, it's easy just to find yourself in a place where everything is just looking like the end of the world. And the reason why is because the drift of our thoughts is always towards what we call futile thinking. Or put it another way, a thought apocalypse. The word apocalypse is made up of two words. It literally means apo, to see, calypse, which means, you know, like collapse, coming down, the end of the world, to see the end of the world. And that's why we entitled the series Thoughtpocalypse, because I believe that most often the way that we naturally think, the way we allow ourselves to think, is in a direction that I call thoughtpocalypse. My thoughts drift towards everything's coming down, the wife doesn't love me, the kids aren't doing good, the finances aren't where they should be. Oh my gosh, I'm never gonna get married, I'm never gonna pass this exam, I'm gonna fail in this situation, all is difficult, everybody else around me is doing well, but my life seems to be so hard. You don't know the family that I've come from, all the pain of my problems, all the difficulties that I face, Come on, am I the only one? And we find ourselves living in a way that our thoughts are just so futile. Depression, despair, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, a general state of melancholy. It's important to know, church, that this malady, these these thoughts, this sickness of our generation, 
is a Western world condition. We are the most depressed generation that has ever walked the face of this planet. And somehow in the middle of our Western prosperity, and I know we don't like to feel like that. Oh my gosh, I just need a little bit more. Oh, John, you don't, you're saying prosperity, but I've only got an iPhone 3. Are you kidding me? Come on. I can't even afford a smartphone. You've got a phone. Wake up. A generation ago, New Zealanders went to school without shoes on. There's probably not too many kids in our church who don't have shoes. And I reckon if they literally didn't, pretty quickly we'd get that sorted out. We are, we are blessed. We are prosperous. I mean, it's quickly getting to a point where in New Zealand where the number one killer is not starvation, but obesity. We are blessed. And I'm not, I'm not discounting unique pressures, but what I am saying is that somehow in the middle of our Western world, with all of the blessing that has come our way, we have also given birth to a, a generation that find themselves living with what I could describe as a thorpocalypse. In all of the blessing that have come our way, we have simply lost God in our thoughts because they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. So their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Our thought apocalypse is defined by whether or not God is present in our thoughts. And I don't know about you, but I reckon it's time for a new generation of believers to be awakened, not to a life where God is somehow distant and on the shelf, but somehow to return what's going on in here back to where it should be, where God is alive, God is central, where we've got Jesus in our thoughts, God in our thoughts, we're glorifying Him, we're giving thanks to Him and avoiding the impending thought apocalypse. Romans chapter eight, verse six. The mind controlled by the sinful man is death. The mind of sinful man is death. Futile, got no life. Check out the second half. But the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. So if I want life in my thoughts, if I want peace in my thoughts, then I need to make sure that God has my thoughts. That's how we avoid the impending thought apocalypse. How we rid our lives of futile thinking is when we give the God of the universe the thoughts of our lives. I started this year just being arrested by this thought, God's after my thoughts, God after my thoughts. God's after my waking thoughts. He's after my reflective thoughts. He's after my, he's after my visionary thoughts. He's after my restful thoughts. He's after my working thoughts. I hope we all realize there's no such thing as a secular job. You know what I mean? It's not like, well, John, I, I, you know, I'm an architect, I'm a drain layer, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a nurse, I'm a what, you know, and so therefore, you know, God's kind of, no, 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 God wants to be at the center of everything that we do. He wants, he wants us to make our thoughts, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, in other words, the, my musings, my thinkings, may they be acceptable in your sight. And not just when you're in here for 90 minutes on a Sunday. Okay, 100 minutes. But you know, God is after our thoughts. 
They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Put it another way. They just stopped thinking about God. You know, when it says they knew him, the word knew or know, you know, they knew him, although they knew him, although they knew God, verse 21 starts with, although they knew God, same word knew when Mary speaks to the angel and the angel says, you're going to be pregnant, you're going to have a baby. And she says, well, I do not know a man. Same Greek word, meaning intimacy. I've got relationship. I've got access to God. And you and I have access to God. And the Bible is saying, although they knew him, they just stopped thinking about him. Stopped glorifying him. Stopped think, giving thanks to him. Just stopped thinking about God. And when we stop thinking about God, it leads us to a point where we live in futile thinking. It's such a simple message. Yet when it's applied to our lives, I reckon it can have a revolutionary effect. When the Bible's literally saying, if we stop thinking about God, our thinking becomes futile. But if our thinking is about God, then it's the opposite. It's not futile. It's filled with opportunity. It's filled with potential. It's filled with life. It's filled with peace. You know, the Bible says we should give thanks to God in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's, it's saying that not to say that God wants to ruin your life. You know, wow, yes, oh my gosh. I just got the worst power bill I've ever had. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, there's something actually truthful about that. The Bible's saying even when you don't feel like, like thanking Him, presence God in the middle of what you're going through. Because when you and I presence God in the middle of every situation of our lives, it stops our thinking from heading to thought apocalypse and instead to living in the abundant resurrection life that God has got for us. Once we die, we live. End of story. Once we die, we live. Death is swallowed up in victory. Therefore, in our thoughts, there's no reason to live defeated, despondent. I'm preaching to myself today. You know, when God is not in your thoughts, your thoughts are futile, dead, empty, vain, foolish. But when God is in your thoughts, your thoughts are alive. Without God in your thoughts, your thinking is empty. But when God is in your thoughts, your thoughts are full. Read, read, read the Old Testament and see when the Bible talks about the wicked. It talks about the wicked as being like vapor, like, like breaths of air, empty words that have no substance, always in reference. But when, when we've got thoughts that are filled with Christ, it's the opposite of empty. It's full, full of ideas, full of blessing in the middle of what you're facing. Filled with a feeling like God is with you. Filled with a feeling of resurrection power. You can make it beyond today. Live for a greater tomorrow. Fill your heart with purpose. When, when our thoughts are gone from God, then they become vain. But when we've got God in our thoughts, our thoughts become purposeful. Without God, our thoughts are foolish. But God-oriented thoughts are therefore wise. And God can give you wisdom for whatever you're facing when we give to Him our thoughts. Really, what worship is all about is about a mind, thoughts that are centered on Christ. 
That's what worship is. It's saying, God, I honor you. I presence you. I thank you. I love you. I adore you. I worship you. My, my focus is on you. That's what worship is. So therefore, if that's what worship is, and when we turn our thoughts to God, our thoughts step out of futility and into life, then we could say this with accuracy, that worship is the ultimate utilization of the mind. Have you ever driven a car that's out of tune? Horrible, isn't it? I mean, some of the young people have never even experienced it because the cars you drive are so much better. But when I started driving, my first car was a 1973 Hillman Hunter. I bought the car. I couldn't really afford to service the car. I think I paid $1,600 for it, which back then was actually quite a lot more than it is today. But, you know, because it was a long, 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 long time ago. But I'll never forget driving this Hillman Hunter as it went from being in tune to out of tune. Anyone know what I'm talking about? You remember those days? You put your foot flat down, and rather than accelerating, you got... And right then at that awkward moment, you know, suddenly the car stalls and it's got no gas. But have you ever driven a car that's just absolutely dialed in? I mean, just perfectly tuned, absolutely primed. Everything is right. All the spark plugs are fresh. I don't know what they do, but all that other stuff they do, you know what I'm saying? These days, it's just been hooked up to the computer. I don't know. But you hop in that car, you put your foot down, and it's like, everything works. See, when God is at the center of our thoughts, it's the opposite to living out of tune. It's like optimal utilization. It's like getting that car and putting in the better chip. You know what I'm talking about? That goes from mediocre to unbelievable. Gives you extra brake horsepower, extra, extra ability, extra fuel. That's what it's like when a mind is aligned to God. It is like taking everything in my world and making it work better. And that's why God is after our thoughts. Have you thought about the fact that you can just take your thoughts and return to God? And the moment you start bringing God into whatever you're thinking about, you're going to think better, live better, perform better, dream better, plan better, work better. That God needs to be at the center of our thoughts. My children are memorizing the 23rd Psalm at the moment. I memorized it, I think, mum might correct me, but when I was six or seven years old, and I remember memorizing it, I remember saying it in front of our small congregation. I'll never forget it. But you know what? It was taking thoughts and disciplining them and returning them to God. When I came back to Jesus, I memorized this passage of Scripture standing at a bus stop. I remember the bus stop. I'm going to talk about it tonight. But you know, what I was doing with my thoughts when I was memorizing the Scriptures was returning them to God. You know, when you're thinking about your life and you just go, all right, stop, pressure, thank you, Jesus. That moment, you're tuning your mind because you and I were designed to have God at the center of our thoughts. It's not like saying, yeah, that'd be a good extra for some really amazing Christians. It's a key to living with a tuned in mind. It's about saying, this is how I live the life God wants me to live, is by putting God in my thoughts. It's like saying, when I wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that I grab? Blackberry? No one's even got one anymore. iPhone? Easy, eh? I mean, my problem is I use it for my alarm clock. 
So you press that snooze button and you see the texts that have come in from international people overnight. And there, before you know it, it's like something got your thoughts before God did. I just think it's so important that we just start to say, hang on a minute, what, what am I doing? What's the last thing we do before we go to bed? Put God in there. As we're working, thinking about God. When I became a Christian, you know, I've been working in the same insurance company. In fact, the guy who gave me my job, the first ever job I ever got when I left school, came to a RISE conference last weekend. It was so awesome to see him. Uh, just an incredible man, you know, and just is right there and got to see what we're doing now. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like a pretty cool moment just seeing him. And, and uh, you know, I remember just when I got saved, I'd been doing the same job for a couple of years already. But I just started grabbing scripture verses and putting them on my keyboard. Got promoted twice, got three pay rises in a, spirit, a period of only months. Why? God was in my thoughts. God's got more for you when he's in your thoughts. God is looking for you and I to take our thinking and to return to Him, to presence Him in the middle of our thoughts. God is after my thoughts. D.L. Moody said, the world is yet to see what God will do with one person who is fully committed to Him. In other words, one person who puts God at the center of their thoughts, we've yet to see what God could do with that person. Smith Wigglesworth, one of the greatest healing evangelist the world has ever seen. Miracles right next door to where I am standing in the Wellington Town Hall. I've seen pictures of that town hall absolutely jam-packed with people, even the choir, the pit behind the stage, jam-packed with people every single day as Smith Wigglesworth ministered and launched the Pentecostal church, which our church is part of here in New Zealand, believing in a Jesus who still had power to move in the 21st century. Smith Wigglesworth said, I never pray for more than half an hour, and I never go more than half an hour without praying. He's saying, God is in my thoughts. One of the stories told about when he was here in New Zealand was one day they're driving down the street, and he says to the driver, stop, stop the car, stops the car. He gets out, says, everybody, get on your knees. We haven't been thinking about God in the last little bit. And they all had to kneel on the side of the road and just talk about God. Now, I'm not suggesting you do that on State Highway 1 or 2 or wherever you've got to get home from the service. You could do it while you're driving. But I am saying, what an inspiration. I'd rather be Smith Wigglesworth than not kneel. God is after our thoughts. When I first read this passage of Scripture, the band in every center can join me on stage. When I first read this passage of Scripture, it just arrested me, arrested me. God is after my thoughts. God is after my thoughts. I remember walking to the beach with my children and just realizing, hang on a minute, I can bring God into this moment. God, you are after my thoughts. I remember waking up in the morning and just saying, God, you're after my thoughts. It began to shape me about the middle of February. Middle of February, this thought's been alive in my heart for six weeks. I was out watering my plants one night, and I suddenly realized I had nothing on that evening, no meeting. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. I thought, what am I going to do tonight? And immediately it came into my head. God is after my thoughts. So with the watering can in my hand, I thank you, Jesus. I honor you. I, I love you, Lord. I, come fill my mind. I went back inside, I sat on my chair. I have a chair, every man does. Every man does, or wants one. I sat in my chair, 
The one the kids can't sit in? Not a lot anyway. I sat down in my chair. I pulled out this passage of Scripture. I read over it. Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. And I said, I glorify you and I thank you and I honor you. I put it on my lap and I closed my eyes. And I'm telling you, when I got called into the ministry when I was 19 years old, when God called me to leave my job and to begin doing this, the power of God so filled my parents' lounge room that I knew that God was just physically there. And on that night, that exact same experience happened again. I began to think about a rise. We were beginning the next 10 years. Vision Sunday, I think, was coming up or had just been. And God just began to download stuff into my heart. Show me bigger things that we're going to do yet as a church. Where we're going. Out of thought apocalypse. Apocalypse. Seeing the end. Now, thought, revival, life, promise. This weird thing's been happening to me all year this year. I've been waking up so early. Started off binding the devil. Then I thought it might be just God. Yesterday, it's Saturday morning. I wake up quarter past four in the morning. I'm like, no. Argued with God a little bit. Got out of bed, maybe 4.30. Went downstairs, thinking about this message. God wants my thoughts. As I began to do that, I began to just like, God just dropped in one line, said in one elective session at last week's Arise Conference, where Art Boshoff quoted Tommy Barnett, He said, if I could have all my time all over again, I would take more risks for God. And I was like, something leapt inside me. I started walking up and down our family room. I'm praying, not loud, because I want to keep the children asleep. But I'm like, God, I want to go more for you. He began to show me risks that we needed to take and steps we needed to step out into and things we needed to prepare ourselves for. I'm writing them down. I'm alive. Because God is after our thoughts. No matter who you are, in Christchurch, Hamilton, Capity, here in Wellington, the God of the universe is after our thoughts. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can comprehend what God has in store for those who love Him. God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. That's what happens when we give Him our thoughts. Ephesians 5, 16 to 18. Can't remember the first bit. Second bit, verse 17, shortest verse in all the Scriptures. Pray continually. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Put Him in your mind. Put Him in your thoughts. In every, every, every situation of life. We can avoid the impending thought apocalypse. And do something amazing for God. I want to pray for everybody in every venue. And then release back the other venues. And we'll continue on here in Wellington. But on every center, could you just close your eyes right now? Every campus, just reach out to God. Jesus, 
you know, honestly, I can feel the Holy Spirit just wandering these halls, these aisles, these rows. In Hamilton and Cafferty, in Christchurch and Wellington, come Holy Spirit. Change our thoughts. All we want, Lord, is to be like you. I'm praying for every anxious thought that you would arrest it. I'm praying for all, all turmoil of thinking. Speak peace to every mind. Lord, I declare right now that some of the greatest people are in these venues this morning. Business leaders, teachers, doctors, mums and dads, young people with aspiration, dream, future pastors, future leaders, future politicians, media, creative arts, every arena and expression of life not to live normal lives, not to live in normal confines, but in whatever area of work or vocation you've called them to be in, I'm declaring that the mind of Christ will be in them, that they think beyond the norm, call us out of difficulty and put greatness in our spirit. Lord, right now in the mighty name of Jesus, I just sense that in every center right now, there are literally a lot of people who are just getting God thoughts, God thoughts, life, I speak promise. I speak faith. I speak beyond your healing. For whatever you believe in to be healed of, it's been the one consuming thought. But right now, God's saying, no, no, no. No, right now God's showing you what's gonna happen beyond your healing. Your physical body will be healed. That stomach will be healed. That cancer will be healed. That eyesight, that, that glaucoma, it's going to be healed. That problem with your blood pressure in the name of Jesus. But beyond it, see beyond it. God's going to use you. There's got more in store. Out of financial pressure, into blessing. But see beyond it. The Lord is right now beginning to give people the thoughts of the Lord. Father, right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for victory, for life, for new thoughts. We give you glory and honor in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Allen Cameron and at Arise Church. 